Welcome to Victory Church. It's so good to have you with us this morning. Um, I, I'm excited about what God's going to do today. I'm excited that you join us. Uh, let me just say a couple of things. Let me welcome all of our online family. We are, in case you're joining us today for the first time or watching online for the first time, we are slowly but surely uh, reopening after all of the pandemic and different things. And so we're trying to do our best that we can to keep uh, safe and responsible for you so that our church family can come back home and be able to experience service together. But we also understand that many are still more comfortable watching online. And so we want to do all we can to give you the best experience there as well. And so with that, two quick things. One, if you're visiting with us, okay, so whether you're here today in person visiting with us or whether you're watching online for the first time, do me a favor. I want you to text VICTORY18 to the number that's going to be on the screen. So it'll be on the screen here and as well as you're watching online. And what that's going to do, that's going to shoot you a digital connection card. And so again, whether you're visiting for the first time or hey, maybe you've been coming for a couple of weeks and you just hadn't really reached out to get connected, that's going to send you a digital connection card. It allows you to kind of fill it out. And then at the bottom, there's going to be uh, uh, some boxes you can check. And so some of those, whether you're just visiting, uh, I'll, I'll, refer, I'll, I'll refer back to this at the end about salvation and baptism and different things. There's also a box that says other where you can write notes and different things. So we just want to connect with you. It just gives us the opportunity uh, to reach out to you in the middle of the week, see if we can answer any of your questions, and just do our best in getting you connected to Victory Church. So if you do that for me, also if you are here in person and that is you, you're visiting for the first time or have been here, me and my wife would love to meet you. And so if you're okay with it, we'll be in the lobby right after service and we'd love to just uh, shake your hand or air high five you, whatever it is that, that is appropriate in this culture today. Uh, but we'd just like to connect with you and be able to say, hey, thank you for visiting and checking out Victory Church. Also, guess what is just a couple of weeks away? Does anybody know what's just a few weeks away? Easter! Everybody say Easter! Easter! We like Easter at Victory Church. Uh, the reason we like Easter is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that's what we celebrate, right? Come on, let me hear you. Y'all got to be way more excited about that. All right, I'm going to change that in a couple weeks. Um, let me just give you some updates of what's happening. So on Easter Sunday, April 4th, we are doing two egg hunts uh, two specific egg hunts here on campus. We're doing, it's actually multiple egg hunts, but it's a kid's egg hunt where they'll be able to get eggs with prizes. And then there is an adult egg hunt, right? That's what I'm talking about because let's be honest, who cares about the kids, right? It's all about us, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, so in that adult egg hunt, you'll be able to get some prizes and different things. It's gonna be a great time. And so we wanna invite you, and here's what I wanna ask you to do. Start inviting friends and family to come check it out. Be with us on that day online. If you're just online, I wanna encourage you, right now you can register and you can actually um, get a, a package of eggs delivered to your house so that you can do the egg hunt with your kids at your house. So whether you're watching with us online or whether you're here in person, we we are going to give you an egg hunt on Easter Sunday. Yeah, we got three people. That's all that matters. Uh, but it's not just the egg hunt. I want to make sure that you understand that. I am excited about the egg hunt because it's going to be fun. It's a great opportunity for you to bring and invite neighbors and friends and different things. But it's more to it than that. So we've been in a series for the past 27 weeks, I think, called The Journey. And what we did is we took the book of John, and we've been going through it chapter by chapter by chapter. And some weeks we, or some chapters, we took two or three weeks to go through. But we've just been consistently going through the book of John. Next Sunday, we end the book of John. So that'll be chapter 21. We'll bring it to a close. And then the next two weeks after that, we're going to focus specifically on the Easter message, which is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to really talk through why it's so important and how everything that we've learned from the past 28 weeks don't matter unless the resurrection is true. And so we're going to talk through all that. It's going to be a powerful couple of weeks. We're going to talk about why Easter. Then we're going to talk about what happens after Easter. So it's going to be some really great Sundays. And then, then the following Sunday after that, we will begin our new series in the book of Acts. And so we'll start with Acts chapter 1. And so it, what's really cool about this is you go through the instructions that Jesus gave, the life of Jesus. John says, watch all of this and believe in Jesus. Then we're going to talk about Jesus resurrecting. And now Acts is, okay, now that Jesus has resurrected, here's how you live your life. And so it's so beautiful how it works together. And um, my passion when we did this was two things. Number one, I wanted to make sure that we believed. I wanted to make sure that we believed. We don't just hope in Christ, but we believe in Christ. And then I wanted to make sure that after that, we knew how to live like Christ. I think over the past 12 months or so, 
we've seen that it can be difficult to live like Christ in the middle of all of the uncertainties and things that are happening. And scripture lays out for us pretty clearly how to do that, how to live like Jesus um, right in the middle of all the chaos. And so that's what I want to do for our church as, as we move forward. And so I'm excited about that. So everybody, you, you excited about it too? You ready? All right. So finishing John, Easter, and then the book of Acts is going to be great. But today we are in John chapter 20. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. Um, if you got your phones, feel free to jump on there on your phones, Bible Gateway, wherever it is that you look, but get to John chapter 20. I need to set some context real quick because we're going to start at verse 24, okay? So we're going to skip 23 verses. Uh, I'm going I'm to kind of give the context of what's going on, and then you'll see why we are starting here. So we have talked over the past couple of weeks that Jesus was prepping his disciples for his absence. He was letting them know that the time's coming, that he is going to ascend to heaven, he's going to be gone. So he started uh, urging them, here's some things you need to get figured out. He talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he talked about unity, which we preached on both of those things. He, he was setting them up for him to leave. And then we talked last week, he was crucified. He was arrested, he was tried, he was crucified, and he died. All of that we talked about last week. Now, that's where we are in John chapter 20. Jesus has died, and to the disciples' knowledge, he has not resurrected, okay? To their knowledge, he, he's dead, and he's going to stay dead. That, that's their mindset, okay? Because normally, when people die, they stay what? Dead, right, exactly. And so everybody thought, okay, Jesus is dead. So what ends up happening is all of the disciples go to this particular room, and they lock themselves in the room. Because here was their assumption. Since they arrested, tried, and killed Jesus, it's only a matter of time until they arrest, try, and kill us. And so they say, hey, we got, we got to hide. So they go to this building, they lock themselves in this room, and then in the middle of them pretty much trying to figure out what they're going to do, Jesus comes in, freaks them all out, and I love it, Jesus walks in and he goes, peace be with you. Because if somebody, if a ghost walks through the wall in the room you're in, he needs to say, Peace be with you, right? Because you're freaking out a little bit. Um, so there's this moment between him and the disciples where they realize, oh, wow, Jesus is resurrected. But here's the problem. There was one disciple whose name was Thomas who was not there. I don't know if he overslept. I don't know what happened, but he didn't make it to the meeting. So he actually missed out on Jesus coming and confirming his resurrection. And so that's where we're going to pick up, okay? John chapter 20, start at verse 24. And it says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That's what I just told you. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. He, he finally arrives and they're like, guess what? We saw him. He's alive. He's resurrected. He was telling the truth. It's awesome. And then Thomas goes, okay. And then he says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are were and put my hand into his side because when Jesus was on the cross, they pierced his side. So unless I can put my hand into his side, I will not what? Believe. I won't do it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas this time was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. In other words, he kind of came through like a character from Mortal Kombat. He just kind of came through the walls and stood among them. And once again, he said, Peace be with you. Don't freak out. Then he said specifically to Thomas, put your finger here. Thought about naming the sermon, put your finger here, but I didn't know it might be a little weird views on YouTube. So, so see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Thomas says, unless I do this, I'm not going to believe. Jesus says, here, do it and stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord. And my God, that's going to be important a little bit later. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now, this right here is powerful. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John goes on to say, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want to talk to you for just a moment from the idea, I believe, I think. 
<laughs> I believe, I think. Have you ever believed in something and then you had something happen and it kind of challenged your belief? You know what I mean? Like you were really confident in something. Like, man, I believe this. And then, and then something happened. And whatever happened caused you to really doubt the idea that you really believed in that to begin with. When, when I was growing up, I don't know if you remember this, when I was growing up, we had this thing in school called show and tell. Do y'all remember that? Show and tell? Anybody? Do that? Am I that old? Does anybody remember show and tell? Okay, we got one. Thank you. Thank you. Just, we're we're going we're gonna to play a game of that later. Okay, show and tell. We just, uh, here's what I got. Here's what you got. So on. And so here was what was happening in the schools is these kids would get up and they would tell these awesome stories. I never had any real awesome experiences as a kid as far as like traveling or anything. So show and tell was normally like my Ninja Turtle. I'd be like, yeah, you know, this is Raphael. He's cool. Um, but, but there would always be these kids who would get up and they'd be like, me and my parents went to France and this and that. And they went to other countries. And you're always, or at least I was, sitting in the back of the room going, <laughs> doubt it. You know what I mean? Like, prove it. You know what I mean? Like, you were probably at home playing video games. And then that was the whole catch about show and tell, is then they would pull something out, some kind of, you know, artifact or some type of souvenir, and it would prove that they had actually gone on this trip. And so it was kind of weird for me, because I'm like, I don't really believe you, and then something would happen, and I'd go, oh, I believe you now. And then you also have the alternative of that, which is I believe, and then something happens, and, and now, I, now I, I don't believe. And what's happening in John chapter 20, guys, if we don't pay attention to it, we'll miss it. It's something so powerful. Look, when Jesus died, there were no longer any Christians. There were no longer any believers or followers. There were just sympathizers. Jesus is dead. Now, now, obviously, we're talking about a, you know, what, 72-hour time period. I'm not talking about post-resurrection. But while he's dead, while he's staying dead, at least in their mind, at that moment, there was no Christians. They weren't Christ followers. Christ is dead. They weren't believers. Christ is dead. They weren't followers. They were just sympathizers. Look, okay, Jesus wasn't who he said he was, but he's still a great guy. He did a lot of great stuff. Let's go purchase his body when they get it off the cross because we don't want them to feed his body to dogs because we talked about that last week. So because he's a nice guy, he deserves to be buried. So let's go get him. They were sympathizers. They still thought he was a cool guy, but he wasn't the son of God and he wasn't the Messiah. And here's why. Because the message of Jesus wasn't about what he did or, or what he thought. The whole message of Jesus Christ was about who he was. That was the message of Christ, the son of God, the Messiah, salvation. And he couldn't be who he was if he was dead. Right? So, you don't have any Christians. I'll prove it to you. When, when Jesus gets buried into the tomb, and then the third day comes around, and Jesus had prophesied that on the third day he would rise again, <laughs> at the tomb on the third day, no disciples are standing there going, 10, 9, 8, 7, hold it, get ready, 6, 5, get the smoke going, where's the lights, 5, 4, Andrew, get the volume going, 2, 1. That, none of that happened. Nobody's even there. And then to give you more evidence, when it gets out that Jesus' body is missing, is not in the grave, all of his disciples said, somebody stole his body. Nobody said, oh, he must have resurrected like he said he would. They were like, snap, somebody, somebody kidnapped the body of Jesus. All of this proving, watch, that those who had believed didn't believe anymore. They believed, or so they thought. But then something happened, and now they don't believe anymore. When it comes to modern-day Christianity, some of us believe, but we wonder. Right? Like, like you believe, but what, what about this? What about that? You believe, but you wonder. Some of us Wonder how anybody could believe. Like you, you think he did what? And then some of us want to believe again. 
but we wonder if we actually can. Which, which category do you tend to find? Are you one of those people that, I don't know how any of these people can believe in Jesus, that a God died and, and, and was resurrected? Maybe you're one of those who you believe, but there are moments, there are moments where you're like, I don't really know, and it does kind of you know, make you struggle with your belief in God, but you just kind of overlook it and move on. And then there's somebody in here who used to believe, used to be passionate about God, but something happened, and it messed that belief up. And you want to believe again, but you really wonder whether or not you can. All throughout the Gospel of John, we see the disciples believe, stop believing, believe again, and then go on to die for what they believe in. Think about this. The disciples are locked in a room because they're afraid that they're going to be killed for what they used to believe in. Next thing we know, and we'll see this in Acts, they are giving their life for what they believed in. What, what happened, right? What happened in between that went from, we're going to die, to kill me if you want. I stand up for what I believe in. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning about how you and I can believe like the disciples believed. But it starts with this. What does it mean to believe? Before you and I can ever be confident that we do, we need to make sure that we understand what we are saying when we say we believe. Let's go back to John chapter 20. First two verses, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples tell him, hey, we've seen the Lord. Trust us. Trust the, we believe. Trust us. To which Thomas says, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. I love this because for a moment, Thomas is kind of like us. Here's what Thomas is saying. Hey, Peter, I love you, bro. John, you're my boy but I'm not going to believe in Jesus simply because you tell me to. Like, I love you, man. You're awesome. But I just spent years of my life following this wannabe Messiah, and I'm not going to go around chasing his ghost with y'all. Like, if you want me to believe, something has to happen to where I can truly believe. I'm not going to believe because you believe. This is one of the largest problems in Christianity today. You believe because, or we believe because somebody else we love believes. Or my mom and dad believe. My grandma believed. My friend, my spouse, my kids. Somebody else believes, and so out of love for them, we start believing because they believe. But that belief never holds up in time of uncertainty or persecution or hardship. You cannot build your life on someone else's belief. It's got to be yours. Thomas doesn't want to build his life on the uncertainty of hope. He wants to build his life on the confidence of belief. So here's what I think happened. This is just my perception. Um, so, so walk with me on this. I think Thomas was so passionate to believe that he spoke in a hyperbole. You know, like, for example, we say things like, uh, if, if you're riding the car with somebody and they're going really, really fast, you'll be like, man, you're driving 1,000 miles per hour. They're not driving 1,000 miles per hour, right? But, but they're going really fast, and you, are, you exaggerate to explain your point, to, to get your point across. Like, hey, you're going too fast. You need to stop. So you exaggerate. It's like when somebody says, man, that thing cost an arm and a leg. It doesn't actually cost an arm and a leg, right? It'd be awkward. But it's a lot of money. Here's the one my kids say all the time, and Darla and I have to correct them all the time. When they're hungry, they'll say, I'm starving to death. You know, and I'm like, we get on to them all the time. We're like, no, you're, you got a belly, first of all, so you're not starving. You know what I mean? And then they'll start saying this, I'm literally starving to death. And we're like, you don't even know what the word literally means. You know what I mean? Like, like you're not starving to death. You are just trying to explain your situation with exaggeration. So I think this is what Thomas did. I think Thomas said, you know what? I'm not going to believe until I can put my finger inside the hole in his hands, until I can shove my hand up the hole in his side. I think he had lost his mind. He was just exaggerating to explain to them, I am serious about this. I'm not going to believe. And he just, he, he just exaggerates. And although Thomas was exaggerating, here's my favorite part. 
Jesus shows up and says, here you go. Go ahead. Is that what you need? Try it out. How creepy would that have been? For both parties. Thomas is like, oh, oh. Jesus over there is like, hey, by the way, the other day when I was over, are you done? And it just been, would have been weird. But I think Jesus does that because watch this. Throughout the gospel of John, Jesus had triumphed over sickness. He had triumphed over sin. He had triumphed over evil men. He had triumphed over sorrow. And he had even triumphed over death. And now Jesus had showed up to conquer unbelief. That's so important for you. And it's so important for me that Jesus does not leave us hanging on hope. Jesus showed up to conquer unbelief. I don't know if y'all are like me. I was not the best student in school. Um, got a few, few lovers or haters of school. Uh, I, you know, it, it, just, it just wasn't my thing. And so I, here's what I would often do. I would be in class and the teacher would explain a math problem or a social studies you know, situation or a science experiment or whatever it was. And she would, he or she would explain it. And then every time she would stop or he would stop and look at the class and go, do you understand? To which I had no clue. Didn't have any, didn't even know what they were talking about. But I refused to raise my hand and ask a question. Because number one, I, I didn't want to be the focus, you know, the focal point of everybody's attention in class. And I didn't want to come off stupid. You know what I mean? That's just kind of how you feel. You feel like if you ask a question, you're going to be looked at as stupid. And so I just didn't do it. So countless amount of times, probably once a day, I would be in a class and somebody, some teacher would put up some type of information and then turn around and say, class, do you have any questions? And I would just go, the whole time in my mind, I'm going, I have no idea what she just did. I'm going to fail this test. You know what I mean? Was any, anybody else like that? Anybody? Okay, okay, great. Fantastic. My peoples are in the room. Okay. The other night, I'm reading a book to Casey Ray for bedtime, and it's a book called What Should Danny Do? And the way that the book works is Danny has to make a decision, and you can either make the right decision or the wrong decision, and it takes you to different pages. It's really creative and really cool. Um, and so we're going through it, and the particular story that we read that night was that Danny's in class. The teacher does some type of explanation. He does not understand what's happening. And the decision is, will he raise his hand and ask the question? And I'm so convicted, right? I'm in her bedroom like, really, God? Through a kid's book? Through little Danny? You know what I mean? Can't even make his own decisions, Danny? You know what I mean? He's going to convict me through Danny? Uh, and so I, I got done, and I looked at Casey and I said, babe, did you learn the lesson from tonight? Now, it didn't sound as poetic as it sounds right now. But she, uh, she said, what lesson? I said, you know, that if you're ever in class and you don't know what the teacher is talking about, you raise your hand and you ask her, you do not pretend like you know. And she looked me square in the eye and went, why would I do that? <laughs> I was like, all right, we're done. Go to bed. You know what I mean? Like, it is what it is. But that's, I just, I, I got through school pretending like I understood what was going on. Here's my point. I'm so glad that Thomas didn't pretend like he believed. You know? He could have just been like, yeah, 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 with you guys, got it. He could have just pretended like he believed and then just moved on. But the problem is if he pretends like he believes, then later on when they're scattered and they're all giving their life for the gospel, he'll have to stand on the belief of individuals who aren't with him anymore. So I'm so happy he didn't pretend to believe. It's important that you and I do not pretend to believe. Don't come in here and go, well, I don't really want to, I don't want to ask, I don't want to be embarrassed. We do a discipleship class during the week and we end with Q&A and I'm always like, now's the time. Don't, don't, don't leave out of here without asking the question because if you believe or if you pretend like you believe and you walk out. Satan is out there just waiting to go after your insecurities and the things that are foggy to you. So don't pretend you believe. We have to know why we believe. And in order for us to do that, it starts by us fixing the misunderstanding of faith. Before you and I can believe, we have to fix what's broken about the misunderstanding of faith. Here's what I mean. 
In our culture today, the words hope, faith, and believe all mean the same thing. You talk to anybody, when they say hope, they say faith, or they say believe, majority of the time they are using it in a sentence, and the definition is this, something we want to be without any guarantee. That's what they're saying. This is something I want to be, but I don't have any guarantee. All right, I'll give you some actual examples. I hope one day I get married, right? Something I want, but I have no guarantee. Oh, I have faith that one day I'm going to get married. Oh, I believe one day I'm going to get married. Three different words, all three the same definition. Something I want to be, but I have no guarantee. Ooh, I hope I get a raise. Ooh, I have faith that I'll get a raise. Oh, I believe that I'll get a raise. Oh, I hope we get a dog. I have faith that we'll get a dog. You see what I mean? Like these are all contexts where we use three different words, and yet they all have the same definition, something that you and I want to be. So this is what happens. It, it ends up translating to when somebody says, I believe in God. In their mind, what they're saying is, I want God to be, but I don't have any guarantee. And so when things are going good, it looks like I'm right. But when things are going bad, I start to doubt it all over again. Because we have been taught that hope and faith and belief are all the same word. And because of that, listen to me, because of that, we think as Christians that we are hoping in Christ. People think that as Christians that we're hoping in Christianity instead of believing in Christ. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 verse 1 says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Hmm. And assurance about what we do not see. So faith, he separates the two. Did you notice that? Faith is confidence of what we're hoping. So now those are two separate words. He doesn't say faith is like what we hope for. He says faith is now confidence of what we hope for. So you've got hope, hoping's one thing, and now Faith is a separate thing, and I'm going to show you how belief is a third thing, all right? So let me set you up an illustration of how hope moves to faith. How can faith be the assurance or the confidence of hope? Let me show you. Back to the individual who said, I hope one day I get married. Well, that person, young lady, uh, has a day come where her boyfriend gets down on one knee and proposes and gives her a promise, and that hope moves to faith, okay? Now she can say, ooh, I have faith I'm gonna get married. Why? Why does she have faith in it now? Because what? She was given a promise, right? Right? She went from hope, I hope one day I get married. Boyfriend proposes, now she's got a promise. Now she has faith. She has the confidence of what she hoped for. Make sense? All right, let's do the illustration with the race. I hope one day I get a raise, Meanwhile, boss comes in, do, 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 open the door. Hey, brother, just want to let you know we had a board meeting and we just approved you to get a raise this, you know, this year. Closes the door. Yes! Now I have faith that I'm going to get a raise. Now I have confidence of what I hoped for. Watch this. When somebody hopes, they tell you they hope, right? I hope one day, I hope one day. When they get, uh, when they get, a promise and move into faith, now they're announcing that it's going to happen, right? You don't wait until your wedding day to put out engagement photos. You put them out as soon as you get the promise. Oh, we got engaged. We're going to get married. You go home and tell your spouse about your raise the day the boss tells you about the raise. You're not going to believe it. My boss said I'm going to get a raise. Because of a promise right? Your, your hope was given confidence and your hope moved to faith. Does that make sense? Am I losing anybody on that? Okay. That's how hope and faith are completely different. Hope is what you want to be with no guarantee. When you are given a promise, 
your hope moves over into faith. Okay, cool? So it's that promise that moves hope to faith. In your Bible, there are over or near 2,500 promises that God made in your Bible. 2,500 promises that he made to you. So these promises should move us from hope to faith. So when you say that you have faith in Christ, you are not hoping in Christ. You don't have faith in Christ in this idea of, I really want Jesus to be who he was, but I have no guarantee. You have promises from God, okay? Hope to faith. Now watch this. What moves us from faith to believe? The promise is fulfilled. Once the promise, so the promise moves you from hope to faith. I hope one day I get married. Hey, will you marry me? Yes. Oh, I have faith. I'm going to get married. Now you're at the wedding and you're exchanging the vows and now you believe that you're going to get married. Why? Because the promise has been fulfilled, right? Jesus said, put your fingers right here. Thomas did it. And he said, now what? Believe. He didn't say that before he showed up. He's trying to help us to understand that it is the promise of God that moves you from hope to faith, but it's the promises that God has fulfilled that moves you from faith to believe. Out of the 2,500 promises in the Bible, 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled. Already. I think that's a good percentage, right? And then theology would teach us that the other 500 are promises that will be fulfilled in the ending days, telling us that Christ, God, would be 100% in fulfilling his promise. So why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this because we don't think that God is, nor do we trust his promises because of hope or because of faith. We believe God is, and we trust God's promises because of Evidence. Evidence. How many of y'all watch them Law and Order, you know, shows, all them CSI shows, right? Nothing ever matters as far as convicting somebody until they have some real what? Evidence. And yet, for some reason, we're all walking around like we don't have any evidence to believe in God. None of us are, listen, none of you are hoping in the gospel. We should have at least faith in the gospel because he's made those promises. But to be here where we believe in the gospel, it's because we understand that all of these promises have been fulfilled. You would say that you would be a fool to be in your wedding on your wedding day and still doubt that you're going to get married. Yet that's where we are. We are standing in the middle of fulfilled promises. And yet we believe, we think. Paul said in Romans, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And then the message is heard through the word of Christ, word about Christ. I've read that a hundred times growing up, well, after I got saved, and I never really hit home with me until recently when he says faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing. Okay, well, well, faith is me here in the middle, so you're trying to get me from hope to faith, and I get that by hearing? What, what, what does that mean? All right, let me ask you guys a couple questions. How many of you in here... Uh, have heard of and believe in Harriet Tubman? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you in here have heard of and believe in Abraham Lincoln? Raise your hand. All right. Next, how many of you have personally met either one of those individuals? Raise your hand. Wouldn't that have been a miracle? Wouldn't that have been crazy? You'd be like, how old are you? Right? The way that you know about them is because someone has taught you about them, right? Better yet, you heard about them because at some point you were in school and you trusted the individuals that were teaching, and it was that one day you chose to listen, and they handed you this textbook, 
and this textbook had all this information about this individual and what they had accomplished, and because of your trust in the teacher and because of your trust of this book and because of the evidence that these individuals, you heard about them and you walked out and you believed in them. What's being said by Paul in Romans is this, that by hearing the message of God, by hearing about Christ through the scriptures, Treat that book as if it's like a school book for you. The same way you heard about Harriet Tubman or heard about Abraham Lincoln or heard about Martin Luther King or heard, you hear about Jesus. You hear about him from eyewitnesses who were alive with other eyewitnesses. I, I taught the discipleship class this. I'm not going to break it down. You should have joined the discipleship class, but I'm, I'm going to give it to you real quick. The Bible is a reliable collection, okay? 66 books. Different authors. It's a reliable, you can rely on How can I rely on the Bible? Because it's been historically proven true. It's a reliable collection of documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Talking about supernatural events that went on to, to uh, uh, fulfill specific prophecies. Now, I did this with the class. It's going to be fun to do it with you. Uh, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you real quick the difference between a generic prophecy and a specific prophecy, all right? You've probably experienced generic prophecies before. I'll, I'll try one in here. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel, you know, the prophetic power coming. Um, how, somebody in here has back pain. Raise your hand if you have back pain. See what I mean, right? We all could have, we all could have raised it. That's a generic prophecy, because with a room with this many people in it, the chances of somebody having back pain is very high. It's generic. The, the, the 2,000 prophecies that I'm telling you were fulfilled were not generic. They were very specific, down to how Jesus would be born, to how he would die, to the fact that he would be raised on the third day. They didn't say he'd be raised again sometime next week. They didn't say sometime this year. They said three days, and it was the specificity of that. It was, the, it was how specific it was and these prophecies being fulfilled. And how do you know it? From the what? Word of God. So this is what Paul is saying. Your Bible is not just a history book. It's 2,500 promises that God made you and he's almost fulfilled them all and it's all to give you evidence so that you will believe that God is real and that Christ is real and that he resurrected and you will move from hoping in Christianity, oh, promises, to having faith in Christianity, oh, fulfilled promises, to believing in Christ. Is that powerful or what? We're not hoping in God. We're believing in God. And we do not believe in God because of faith. We believe in God by faith because of evidence. How many people would try to say, well, we're not like the disciples. We didn't get to see Jesus. I didn't get to see Abraham Lincoln. I believe he's real. There's more evidence on Christ than there is on Abraham Lincoln. This is what I mean by we have to make sure we believe, church. For too long, we've been in this category of hoping in God. Oh, man, it's what I want to be, but it's no guarantee. And here's what I've learned. When you hope in God, it shapes how you live for God. But once you recognize the promises that God has given you, you move into faith. And once you understand that those promises have been fulfilled, you move into belief. When somebody resurrects from the dead, you believe in them. Right? If you find another one who does it, we'll talk then. So if we believe it happened then we have to believe he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's our salvation. And so then here's my question for you. Now what? Hopefully you believe. If you don't believe, I'd love to keep talking to you about it. You should join the discipleship class in the fall. I bet you'll leave there believing. But now what? Now what do I do? Okay, I believe. 
It's no longer just this church on Sunday morning experience where I hang out with some friends. It's no longer this religion that I do. Now I believe that, that God is real and that Christ died for my sins and that he resurrected. Like, I believe, now what? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. John chapter 20, verses 26 and 28. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It's one thing to believe what Jesus says about God. It's a whole nother thing to believe that Jesus is God. So when he said, my Lord and my God, it showed the level of devotion that now he had committed because of what had shifted in his belief. Thomas called him God. The disciples went on to give their life for the gospel. The message of Christ went out of Jerusalem and all over the world, and to this day, thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands have been changed. Because when you truly believe, you go all in. Every year, Darla and I will go to uh, Panama City for a week. My dad lives there, and we'll have some time together as a family. And one of the things we love to do, we have a little box of poker chips, and we'll play poker. We'll play, uh, what's it, five? Texas Hold'em. Play Texas Hold'em poker. Uh, we'll do the little chips out, have a great time, you know, sit up at night, laugh. It's a great time. One night, we're playing, and I finally got a good hand, right? I don't normally get good hands, and so I was like, I got a good hand. So I started betting real high. And, you know, if you ever played that game, you go around like five times or whatever. So I'm putting the chips in, and her dad folds, and her mom folds, and it's just me and Darla. And I'm like, man, I'm about to take this girl for every dollar she's got, you know? It's not real money. Set her down. It would have been stealing my own money, okay? And so... Um, so, so, so I, I, she comes through, I bet high. I'm like, she's fixed to be gone. I'm gonna, I hadn't won a hand the whole night. And so I'm like, I'm about to win a hand. And it goes back around to her and she, she annies up. She like matches me and does more. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> poor girl. You know what I mean? Cause I had a really good hand. So it kept on going, kept on going. We get around to the last card and I mean, I've got a great hand. So I do what every smart human being does. I just pushed all of my chips into the center. They call that all in. That's what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to go all in and you look all cool and you slide. I'm like, I had sunglasses and a hoodie on. I was trying to lie. No one wanted to see my poker face. You know what I mean? And so I slid all the chips in the center and I was like, all in. And my hope was that she was then going to say, oh, mm -mm, sorry. Obviously you've got a good hand and then bow out. And I would win a little bit of the money that she put in. That girl grabbed her chips and said, all in too, and slid her chips in. And at that time, I was, in, I was worried. You know what I mean? I was a little scared. And, uh, and, and so we lay our cards down, and sure enough, she beat me, okay? So she took everything I had. I had, to, I had to leave the game. I had to sit there and watch them play. I had nothing, right? It was fake money. Give me some fake money so I can play again. You know what I mean? Um, but, but what had happened was I thought I had something good. But she believed in her hand. You know what I mean? Like she, she just knew it. She knew that her hand could beat everything else. There's a difference in me over here hoping and her over here believing. And when you and I believe, we go all in. I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to sit down and have lunch with a guy. Reverend Garcia is his name. You'll be hearing about him soon because we're going to link up and do some ministry with him. But he goes into uh, random jails and prisons, and he just looks through the directory and picks whatever individual will meet with him, and he meets with them and tells them the gospel. Isn't that just the coolest thing you've ever heard? And I'm meeting him at lunch with him. I said, well, you know, what got you into that? And he starts telling me his testimony and, and, and the experience he had with Christ, that moment that helped him believe. And it's just amazing how when you truly believe, you go all in. And so I'm saying all of this, church, to kind of wrap this up here with you in this aspect. We're fixing to start talking about all the things that we should do as Christ followers. We're fixing to talk about how to live life as Christians. We're going to talk about making disciples and changing the world. We're going to talk about not being offended and how to love other people. We're going to talk about so many hard things. Great 
but difficult to do. And it's going to be really important for you to make sure that you believe in what we're talking about or you'll be hesitant to go all in. And I'm trying my best to help you to understand that you are not hoping. This is not, well, we'll see where this religion goes, if it's as good. It's not that. We'll see if he should. It's not that. This is real. This is real. Christ died. He rose again. For two weeks, we're going to talk about everything revolves around the resurrection. Because if he doesn't, remember how I told you at the beginning that, that they're not Christians, they're not believers, they're not followers, they're sympathizers? Do you understand that the, that the whole New Testament is pointless if Christ doesn't resurrect? We don't even, we're not even reading it right now if he doesn't resurrect. But because he resurrected, it made it the most important book in our life. And that is what made those disciples go from being locked in a room to one dying on a cross upside down because they believed. So I've said all of this to ask you, do you believe? Not the belief that you've probably been taught growing up that says just have faith, like a, like a mystical thought process that you would have when you sat down to watch the Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? No, no. Do you believe in something that has been proven to be true? I had a good friend of mine send me an email. She's in a discipleship class, and she was asking a question about some of the things more in the end times that are harder to prove, harder to put evidence to. We were talking about it, and I just thought it was so cool that if you serve a God that has fulfilled 2,000 out of 2,500 prophecies and who raised a man from the dead, doesn't that give you confidence that whatever he said that hasn't been fulfilled yet, it's only a matter of time? So that means heaven and hell, second coming of Christ, all these things are real. But do you believe? So a couple of different things. Number one, I want to give you just a real quick, just a couple of bullet points of some ways that you can go all in. Because maybe you're sitting there going, all right, I believe. I'm with you. I believe. How do I go all in? Here we go. Number one, repent and turn back to God as fast as possible. Just repent right now. Repent means that you would stop. You would, if you were ever in an ROTC, you would about face and turn around. It just means whatever you're going in direction that's not the will of God, stop, turn around, and chase after God. And do it right now. Because I don't have any evidence of when the end is, so you should do it right now. Number two, commit to abiding in the Lord through prayer and scriptures. Let him grow you, prune you, and help you bear fruit. Have a quiet time with the Lord. Read your Bible, pray, have a relationship. Number three, commit to serving him. Come to church, serve in church. Get in small groups. Be involved in outreach. Do those things. And last, pray for those who are far from God and share the gospel. Those are just four very simple ways for you to go all in. Amen? Whether you're in here or watching online, I'm gonna pray, but before I do, here's what I wanna ask you to do. Um, if this is one of those messages for you where you say, I, I believe now, but I don't know what to do, or I really want to believe, but I still got some questions, you have two options. Number one is to talk to Darla and I in the lobby, and we'll do the best we can. Second is to text that number, Victory18, and there's a little box that says other. You click that, and there's this thing that opens up where you can write anything you want to write. Write whatever it is. Allow me the opportunity to reach out and connect to you. Because where we're going, we have to make sure we believe. And I am not talking about hope. I'm talking about the confidence of belief. Father, we thank you for who you are, your word. We thank you for all of the promises that you've given us, all the evidences that point back to the fact that Christ is real, that Christ died, that Christ resurrected 
that prove to us that scripture is exactly who and what it says it is, that you are our salvation, that you are the one and only true God, the deity of Christ, all these things that the word teaches us, our salvation through Christ's blood. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that I've done my best to communicate so that anybody that's in this room that had thought for a second that maybe, just maybe, you weren't real. Maybe just maybe this Christianity thing was a hoax. Maybe just maybe they're starting to understand that this is the only, this is the realest thing we have. And now that they believe that, they would just run as fast as they can to you. Dedicate their life to you. Give their time to you. If you're in this place and you do want to make that declaration, the Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. So believing in your heart says, I believe this is real. Everything that he just said, I'm believing. It makes sense. I believe he's real. Now I confess with my mouth that God is real. I, I, Jesus died for my sins. I want to be forgiven for my sins. That's all you got to do. You can do it right now where you are. Whether you're online, whether you're in this building, you can say it right now. Father, I believe. I believe Christ died for my sins. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to live for you. Thank you, Father. I'm so glad that I believe in something that isn't a hoax or it isn't hope. I believe in something that has evidence that it's true. And I pray it would move me to move. For every person that's in here right now, that they would feel a tugging on their heart to chase after you more than they ever have, to serve you more than they ever have, to live for you more than they ever have, to go all in, to push everything they have into the middle and say, there's nothing more worth giving my life to than God. Let that be the attitude in this place, Father. And then we can walk out of here knowing you're in front of us and you're behind us. You're all around us. In the morning, and in the evening, it's you, Father. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.